the wise men came and worshipped the baby. Why? Well, they worshipped him because they were astrologers. And they had seen a star that had told them that there would be a king. And they followed that star. But how did they know that he was king? Well, he was king because he was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. The rightful heir to the throne of Israel. That's why he was king. He was also king because God himself, the Spirit, breathed the life of Jesus into the Virgin Mary as king of kings. And they went and they worshipped the king. I don't know about you, but I'm not the rightful heir to much. In fact, I look at my family and I look at my family tree, and maybe you can share and relate in this, but there's some weird branches on my family tree. Today I want to talk about the dysfunctional family tree of Jesus. Some of you, your family trees, there's some branches that don't really fork that much. <laughs> that was too close to home. Nobody laughed. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Oh, we are pretty close to Arkansas. Some of us, we've got bigger branches than others. We've got great big trunks to our family tree. We've got many, many, many included in our wonderful families. But if we're being honest this morning, our families can be a little dysfunctional from time to time. Your family may be sitting near you, and you may not say amen, but I know that you're thinking it. It's okay. I want to begin this morning with some of my favorite quotes about dysfunctional families. If you would, bear with me. The first one's from W.C. Fields, and he says, All the men in my family were bearded, and most of the women. Families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. That'd be my family. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. That's from the great George Burns. Cary Grant said, insanity runs in my family. It practically gallops. Jeff Foxworth, he said, for the first time ever, I was taking the family on the road. We stayed with my in-laws, which on life's list of experiences ranks right below sitting in a tub full of scissors. I think a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. Do you agree? I would agree. Bob Hope said, I grew up with six brothers. And that's how I learned to dance, waiting for the bathroom. 
bleeding ulcers run in my family, we give them to each other. George Carlin said, the other night I ate at a real nice family restaurant, and every table had an argument going on. Amen? Amen. Emo Phillips said, when I was 10, my family moved to Downers Grove, Illinois, and when I was 12, I found them. Jerry Seinfeld said, nothing in life is fun for the whole family. There are no massage parlors with ice cream and a free jewelry shop inside. Chelsea Handler said, obviously, if I was serious about having a relationship with someone long term, the last people I would introduce them to would be my family. This is one of my favorites, and you'll just have to bear with me. Tim Bynes said, apparently one in five people in the world are Chinese. And there are five people in my family, so it must be one of them. It's either my mom or my dad, or my older brother Colin, or my younger brother Ho Chan Chu. But I really think it's Colin. (laughs) Few mistakes can be made by a mother-in-law who is willing to babysit. Amen. Moms, you can relate to this. To encourage my little kid to eat something, I'd sometimes say, just pretend it's sand. Some of y'all, that was a little quick. Maybe you did eat sand. Insanity is hereditary, you get it from your children. Great Sam Levinson. Amen. There you go. My, this is one of my favorites. Uh, Nietzsche wrote, Family love is messy, clinging, and of an annoying and repetitive pattern, much like bad wallpaper. <laughs> and finally, if you ever start feeling like you have the goofiest, craziest, most dysfunctional family in the world, all you have to do is go to a state fair. Because five minutes at the fair, and you'll be going, you know, we're pretty all right. We're dang near royalty. That again is from Jeff Foxworthy. If you have your Bibles, take and turn to Matthew chapter 1. I can't think of any more dysfunctional family tree than looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. I'd love to have that name. Ram. Mm. And Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, not the fish, the man, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. 
And David was the father of Solomon, we know that, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, Abijah, and Abijah, Asaph, and Asaph, and Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. All these Old Testament names you've heard. Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Notice these last verses as they finish out. Jeconiah, the father of Shiltel, and Shiltel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, who is the father of Azor. The Azor, the father of Zadok. That's an awesome name, too. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Iliad. Iliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, as we pour over your word this morning, we know that you had a plan all the way from Abraham. That in Genesis, you had a plan for Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore the King of Kings. You had a plan. God, may we see that today. May we know that, and may we act in accordance with it. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. The genealogy of Jesus, this dysfunctional family tree of Jesus, can teach us a lot of things. A lot of things. The first comes from the prostitute and the kinsman redeemer. Look there in verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Ruth, or by Rahab, excuse me, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Well, who is Rahab? Well, if you turn over to Joshua chapter 2, you find out real quick who Rahab is. You see, Rahab was a prostitute. And the young men of Israel were seeking shelter, and she sheltered them in her home. And because of that, she found favor with the Lord, and they told her, listen, when the armies come to destroy this city, you should hang a scarlet thread in the window. And when you do, they will pass by. They will pass by your house. And you will not be destroyed. I find it interesting that in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, we find a prostitute. But even more interesting than that is what follows. Because God in His divine plan in his divine nature in his sovereignty saw fit that not only would we see a rampant sinner but God would see an opportunity for redemption Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth 
See, Boaz was Rahab's son. And who is Boaz? Well, if you turn over to Ruth chapter 4 with me, you'll find out real quick. If you have your Bible, take and turn to Ruth chapter 4. Some of you are like, where is Ruth at? It's in the Old Testament, I promise. Find Joshua, you find Judges, then you find Ruth, and then follows 1 Samuel. Ruth in chapter 4. You see, what is important about Rahab being in the genealogy of Jesus is that not only was there a prostitute, but what immediately followed was the kinsman redeemer given by the Lord. If you've read the book of Ruth, and I know our ladies have been through a study of Ruth, if you've read it, you understand this idea of the kinsman redeemer. You see, Naomi could not be redeemed. Except by one from her family, and who was that? That would be Boaz. The father of Boaz by Rahab. The prostitute birthed the kinsman redeemer. Look at Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. The kinsman Redeemer. You see, when God put together this fantastic plan, He wanted to make sure that we understood that no sin, no great sin of man, could keep us from seeing the kinsman redeemer. We would not see Boaz. If it had not been for the Lord's favor in Rahab's life. Secondly, we see the murderer. And the wisest king. Not only do we find a prostitute followed by the kinsman redeemer in the genealogy of Jesus in this dysfunctional family tree of Jesus, but we see a murderer and following the wisest king that we've ever known. Look in verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. If you want to know that story, you can find it in 2 Samuel. David is not in battle where he should be leading his men, but he's sitting on the top of his palace and he looks down and he sees, sees Bathsheba and she's there. And he lusts for her and he says, who is this woman? It's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay, bring her into me. And what follows is the premeditated plan of murder. David calls Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, one of David's mighty men. The Hittites were looked on as a substandard people. 
But Uriah found grace in David's eyes because Uriah was a warrior. One of the greatest of David's mighty men. And David sends Uriah the Hittite into a battle where no one could win. Sends him to the front line so that Uriah would die in battle. So that David would be able to wash his hands clean. And a good friend of David comes to him and says, You are the man. You are the murderer. We look at King David and we often say, yes, he was great. He slew the giant. He began preparation for the building of the temple of God. David, this glorious king, a man after God's own heart, but we must remember that David was also a murderer. This dysfunctional family tree of Jesus. But what came of David and the wife of Uriah? Solomon. 1 Kings 3.10 And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for wisdom. And it opened the floodgates for you and I so that we may lean on the Lord's understanding and not our own. We see that In this, God can take that which was meant to destroy and He can turn it into that which was meant to prosper. Not only the prostitute and the kinsman redeemer, not only the murderer and the wisest king, but then we find the carpenter and the redeeming king. Look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Joseph had no part in any of this. Jesus is absolutely 100% born of Mary and the Holy Spirit. Joseph simply tasked with caring for the redeeming king. I often wonder, because we read scripture time and time again of of Mary, and, and she pondered these things in her heart. She held these things in her heart. And I wonder the mind of Joseph, the carpenter. The ordinary man set, tasked with providing a life for the very Son of God. God, why would you do this this way? You see, not only did God in His divine plan for this, not only did He see that we needed to understand that there was no sin too great that we couldn't have a Redeemer, That even in the midst of destruction, God would bring prosperity. But he also wanted us to understand that even in the ordinary, even in the ordinary, we find greater purpose than we will ever have. Even in the ordinary, we find greater meaning in life than we will ever know. Joseph, tasked with paying the bills, 
Joseph tasked with providing the food. Joseph tasked with protecting his child. Dads, you and I would call that daily living. We go to work. We pay the mortgage. We make sure our children have the best they can for school. We make sure that food is on the table. We feel tasked with that deep within us. And Joseph felt the same. Sure, there may have been a little added pressure on Joseph. (laughs) It's just the Son of God. Got to keep him safe, make sure nobody hurts him. Got to make sure he's fed, that he's nourished. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. You know why? Because he had a dad that cared for him. The carpenter gave way to the redeeming king. There's a few applications for us in all of this. One is this. Parents, understand. Understand. That no matter your mistakes, that no matter your life, the decisions you've made, God still has a plan and a purpose for your children. Rahab was a prostitute. She could not have known the great thing that her son would become. All the years she spent out of the will of God. And for her son to be the kinsman redeemer. You guys know if Boaz wouldn't have taken Ruth to himself. That the genealogy of Jesus would stop. No matter your decisions, no matter your mistakes, God still has a great plan for your children. Don't ever, don't ever discredit yourself. Don't ever put yourself down. Don't ever give up on your children because of your mistakes. Pour into them even more. Children, listen to me. Especially you adult children. You are not your parents. The mistakes that have happened in the past. The addictions that have happened in the past. The bad decisions that have happened in the past are not who you are. They are not who you are. Solomon could have lived... Under the shadow of the fact that David had committed such a great crime. But instead, Solomon sought the Lord for wisdom and became one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever known, one of the richest and wisest and most loved. You see, you are not. Your parents' past. 
The second application in all of this is to us as believers. You see, God took those individuals in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, this dysfunctional family tree of Jesus Christ. He took those individuals and he proved to us that we could be important in his great plan. He took a carpenter named Joseph, a teenage young man, not bound for much, not doing much, and he tasked him with providing for the Savior of the world. He wants to take you in all of the little ordinary things of our life. He wants to use them to usher in the redeeming king. You see, all of that little stuff that you do, dad, to make sure that your family has for Christmas, would you consider that possibly God is going to use that for his glory? Mom, all the countless hours trying to figure out if your kids are going to end up messed up or not. I know you do it. And I'm going to be real honest with you. They're probably still going to end up messed up. All right? All of that is not in vain. All those prayers that you pray, not in vain. Countless times that you've sought wisdom, not in vain. The thousands upon thousands of times that you have told them to shut the door when they come inside, not in vain. You see, the great thing that I see in this is that, yeah, Jesus' family was dysfunctional. Jesus had a brother didn't even believe he was the Messiah. Of course, if my sibling, if my sister said, hey, listen, I'm the Savior of the world, I'd be like, yeah, okay. But you know what? It took that tree. It took those dysfunctional members to usher in the Savior of the world. Finally, I want to say this. You might be here, and you may think, you may have thought before, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. You don't know what I've done in my life. The mistakes that I've made, the horrible thoughts I've had, the things I've said. You're right, I don't. And I may never know that, but what I do know is this. If God can take a prostitute and produce a kinsman redeemer for the people. If he can take a lustful murderer, an adulterous murderer, and bring in prosperity, 
like the nation of Israel had never known. If he can take an ordinary young man bound for carpentry his entire life and usher in the king of the world, then I'm pretty sure that he can take whatever mistakes you've made, whatever life you've lived, and he can change it. You know how I know that? Because the Christ child that was born, you see, we don't just celebrate his birth. Christmas is a time that we call the season of his birth. We don't just celebrate his birth. What we do is we celebrate him coming to life. Because that baby would spend 33 and a half years on this earth, live a perfect life, die the death that was given for you and I, Cursed is a man who hangs upon the cross. And he would go to the grave. And three days later, just as he says he would, he would raise from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Why? So that your mistakes and mine could be covered in the blood of Jesus. In the blood of the redeeming king. I'm going to finish with this. Your family tree may be dysfunctional. We always are reminded how crazy our family is this time of year, right? Spend time eating together at Thanksgiving. Spend time exchanging presents and doing all the Christmas stuff. And yeah, some of us are crazier than others. But let's not forget... God has a plan in your family. Parents, God has a plan for your children. Children, God knew that you needed your parents. And in all of that, He provided who you are, who your family is. Why? So that we would have an opportunity to usher in the redeeming King. I challenge you, tell, tell some of your family about Jesus this year. It's built in. It's Christmas. Christmas. It's built in. Share the gospel this season. Make much of the redeeming king. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, how ironic. How ironic, yet how just like you. To usher in the king of the world through a carpenter's house and a teenage girl. How just like you, in in order to prove to us that you are in the redeeming business, To make a family tree that not many would be proud of. How just like you to time and time and time again show 
that you are the Redeemer. That even in the midst of our sin, you seek to redeem us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. God, how just like you to take ordinary people and use them to usher in the King Jesus, the Redeemer. How just like you. God, show us this season. Show us in the dysfunction of life how you have called us to usher in to introduce people to, to live outwardly, showing Jesus Christ as the King. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Friend, you may be here. And you may be the one that I was talking to that says, you know, God doesn't know what I've done. I'm going to fill you in on something real quick. He does. You don't know what I've done, preacher. You're right. I don't. Some of you, I might. But I don't. I don't know your past. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the mistakes. I don't know the situations, the problems. But what I do know, just from reading Matthew chapter 1, something so simple as a genealogy, what I do know is there is nothing that can keep you from the love of God. What I do know is that there is no mistake too great that can keep you from a Redeemer. Today is the day to be redeemed. Today is today to put that mistake, put that life of the past under the blood of Jesus and let Him make you new. You can do that today. In a moment when we begin our invitation, you can come take this preacher by the hand and say, Preacher, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I can walk you through that. Christian, you ever just feel like you're just white noise in the world? You ever feel like maybe you're just ordinary? Eh, God takes ordinary people. And He does incredible things with them. Stop living, regretting your ordinary. Stop living, diminishing your ordinary. No, use what God has done for you. Use what God is doing in you to usher in the King Jesus. You see, Jesus himself took fishermen and he said, hey, put down your nets. I'm going to make you a fisher of souls. And those fishermen left their nets, and they went and they followed Jesus. And they spent three years with Him. And in those three years, they still didn't get the picture. 
And after Jesus rose from the dead and they put their fingers in his hands and they put his, their hands in his side, you see what they did is they went out <laughs> and they did incredible things. See, God wants to take the ordinary. God wants to take the Joseph in your life and he wants to use it to usher in the King Jesus. Don't give up. Don't stop. Make much of the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray that you would challenge us in this time, that we would give this time to you. We thank you for meeting with us here, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?